Hey, good morning, and welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning. Faith on Hill is a church in Milwaukee that meets in person and online every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We have the video available on our Facebook page and on our website, faithonhill.com. Now, if you are watching on our Facebook page, we are glad that you are here. Best viewing and best interaction will happen at our website, faithonhill.com. And uh, from there, you can find uh, the, the links to getting into our online presentation right there. There's an audio version of this as well on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All you have to do is type in Faith on Hill in the search, and you will find our audio version of this service. Uh, Also on our audio uh, podcasts and on our Facebook page, on Thursdays we have the 20-minute Bible study, uh, which is a teaching podcast uh, that only goes 20 minutes. There is a timer. So uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a Bible study where there was a literal timer. Most of the Bible studies I've been in, you know, the pastor looks at his watch and says, and as I'm closing, and you know, when they say as I'm closing, that means they're going to talk for another 5, 10, 15 minutes. Well, no, there's a 20-minute timer, and then if it hits it, boom, I'm done. So those are available online. We also have Zoom small group gatherings. Are, uh, they are on Wednesday night for our Zoom gathering, um, and we don't publicly post the chat, but if you send us a Facebook message or you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com, and we will get you the link to join us for the uh, Zoom small group that we have every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. If you have a Bible, open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. For the past couple of months, we have been doing a series of messages talking about the stories of the Christian faith, the stories that people tell, the stories that God tells, and the stories that we actually live by. This is the last message in that sermon series. Today, we're going to tell the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas, and I wanted to start by reading the Christmas story from Matthew's Gospel, starting in chapter 1, in verse 18. Matthew says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgins shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's a prophecy from Isaiah, who lived hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And if you want to find the direct reference for that, it is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Now, chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. 
When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for it is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler whose shepherd, uh, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report it to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way. The, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. When they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. But when they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay where I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So when he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. So it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I will call my son. This is God's word. Did you know that 90% of Americans celebrate Christmas? 90% of Americans celebrate Christmas. There are, of course, people from other faiths, uh, uh, people who are secular in their outlook, uh, atheists, people who just don't care. But 9 out of 10 Americans celebrate Christmas. So the stories that we tell about Christmas as a people, as Americans, is that we celebrate it. Now, every year, admittedly, fewer and fewer people celebrate Christmas as a religious observance. More and more, Christmas is a secular holiday. Santa Claus, the elves, Buddy, Rudolph. All of these things um, are more and more what Christmas means. Uh, I worked for uh, a while for uh, one of the largest corporations in America, and they made a decision several years ago that everything was going to be secularized. So even the music, uh, the music in the background, you know, the, the office music in the background, was only going to be secular Christmas songs. Let me tell you, you can only hear Santa Baby so many times before you want to tear out your ears, right? Uh, the, the, uh, everything about it was secularized. And more and more, there are those who start to talk about Christmas as if there is a war on Christmas. Do you remember a few years ago when Starbucks, for their holiday cups, it was just red? You know, it's just a red cup with the green Starbucks logo. And people said, they're not even saying Christmas, it's just the red cup. I mean, I mean obviously there is some kind of war on Christmas. Uh, it is interesting to me, and you can go, uh, the, the Pew Research Group uh, in 2017 did a big study on Americans' views on Christmas. And what's called the Builder's Generation, um, also sometimes called the Greatest Generation or the Silent Generation, uh, they, they have actually increased 
their religious observance in terms of Christmas. So if, if you are um, in that you know, pre-baby boom generation, it is more likely now than it was a few years ago that your observance of Christmas is religious in nature. But everyone else, it's not just the young people, right? That's what we say, oh, it's this new generation that doesn't, doesn't appreciate the true meaning of Christmas. No, baby boomers, Generation X, you guys are less likely to celebrate Christmas religiously, just as my generation, the millennials, is less likely to celebrate Christmas religiously. And while the millennials, especially younger millennials and the generation coming up behind them are more less likely, the generation X and the baby boomers are, are right behind them. So there is, in, there is still a nine out of 10 observance of Christmas, but an increased, or, or sorry, a, a growing decrease in the religious or the Christian observance of Christmas. And these are the stories we tell. When you Google, what do Americans think about Christmas? How do Americans view Christmas? It is almost 100% spoken of in news articles, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos. It is almost universally spoken of in one of two ways. Either this sort of culture war, the war on Christmas, the decline of religious observance, or we speak about Christmas in terms of nostalgia. Now, my, my generation loves nostalgia. Uh, we do. We, we love things that, that remind us of times past, as long as we're not stuck in the past, but we like things that give a nod to it. We like it when our music has little references to our childhood, or we like it when a movie uh, gives a little nod back to something in the past. I remember the first time I saw the movie Elf, and, and, and the movie opens up, and, and, it, and it shows the, the North Pole, and it looks exactly like Rudolph. And the, all of those Rankin-Bass uh, Christmas specials from the 60s, Rudolph and Frosty and, and all of the, the ones that came after. And I was hooked because that nostalgia factor gets to me. And that's the story most people tell. It's either the story of culture war or it's a story of nostalgia. Let's, let's go through all of our traditions. Now, I don't fault this totally. I love weddings. Uh, and my, my wife uh, uh, knows this because usually uh, when there's a wedding, right, it's you, it, on average, it, it is often the wife who is more excited to go to a wedding than the husband. I love weddings. One of the reasons, and I think it's the main reason I love weddings, is we have so few traditions left in our culture. You know, you could watch a documentary about another culture, and you see their traditions, and we think that's awesome. You know, that, that um, a tribe somewhere, there, there's a feast or a wedding or, or an event, and they wear special clothes that they only wear to that feast or that wedding or that event. And they do a special dance or sing a special song or eat a special meal. Or, or you go to some other culture and they have, um, you know, this traditional festival and there's a certain music that's played and, and, and it's just wonderful. We love that, except in our own culture. And we have so few traditions left. In fact, that's kind of been the, the vibe for the past several decades is a break away from tradition. So I love going to weddings because there is tradition. You dress a certain way at a wedding. You dress up, you know, 
everyone dresses up a little bit. Um, there's a progression. It doesn't all, it is not every wedding's the same, but we have these general things that we do. And I sort of love it. That's one of the reasons I love Thanksgiving. It's like one of two times a year, maybe once a year, depending where, where I eat stuffing. And, um, you know, you make the turkey a certain way. Like when else do you make turkey? Christmas is kind of like that. We go through our traditions. What's the first movie you watch? When do you put Christmas music on? And by the way, if you felt uh, at all judged uh, when I made my comment about when the appropriate time to start Christmas music was, I apologize. It wasn't meant that way. Um, it's just part of my tradition, how I start Christmas music, you know. These things that we go through, uh, for me, with Christmas movies, I have a sort of buildup. I start with the, the soft ones, Elf, uh, White Christmas, you know, the, the funny ones, the lighthearted ones. You, then you build up to the, the serious ones, you know, uh, It's a Wonderful Life and, and Christmas Carol and some of the more intense ones. However we do these things, though, that's, that's what we think about Christmas. It's this nostalgia thing. Or it's a touch point for a culture war. But the Bible tells a different story. The Bible story isn't a story of nostalgia and it's not a story of culture war. It's a story of divine invasion, of divine invasion. And it's a story of human rejection of that divine invasion. The story that, that God tells and that we as Christians declare is this. We declare that Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were created by Him. And you say, well, who's the Word? Well, if you go down to verse 14 in John chapter 1, it says, And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And then the rest of John's gospel is the story of this Word that became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and that Word is Jesus Christ. Now we say, what's, what's that about a word? Well, the Greeks had this concept of, of, the, of the logos, the word, the creation, the creative force. And John says, hey, this, this creative force that you guys talk about, he was there in the beginning. He was God. He created all things and he became a human, Jesus Christ. So we declare that Jesus is divine. That is key that is key to the Christmas story. We also declare that he was born fully human. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. We declare that Jesus Christ is fully human. The story of Christmas is a fully human story. All of the moms remember the pain of childbirth. You, maybe you remember difficulty getting a baby to sleep. Maybe you remember difficulty getting the baby to feed. You, you remember um, everything that led up to and everything you dealt with afterwards. Mary, the mother of Jesus, dealt with those things. A lot of our songs, and a lot of, by the way, a lot of times in human story, the stories that we tell, we tell our stories not through the spoken word or the written word so much as the sung word. Our, our, our stories are about songs or come from songs. 
And a lot of the, the hymns and Christmas carols tell this story of peace and, and a perfect child and a, a perfect scene. Probably not. Mary was probably in a lot of pain afterwards, the recovery process from being born, you know, from birthing a child and birthing a child in a stable, which was probably not a barn, which is what I thought for a long time. I thought being born in a stable meant that Jesus was born in a barn, like when I went out to see my great-grandparents when I was a kid. He was probably born in a cave, and it probably smelled bad, and it probably wasn't that clean. And here's Mary in a smelly, dirty cave with animals and her newborn child. Jesus was fully divine, and yet he was fully human, and the Christmas story is a human story. It's important that we declare that Mary was a virgin. She was a virgin when Jesus was born. Only time in human history that that's happened. This is something that gets pushed back on. But Matthew makes it clear that he believed this to be the case. And it was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Now, the debate about this claim comes from the fact that the ancient Hebrew word for virgin could also be translated young woman. I find the simple answers are the best. The contention is that the Jewish pre-Christian Jewish translators who translated the Bible from Hebrew into Greek, into what's known as the Septuagint, but it's the, it's the translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek, that when they translated it from Hebrew into Greek, and they translated the word into virgin, which in Greek means a woman who has not had sex, that Matthew and the other gospel writers took that and ran with it, but it really just meant a young woman. So that this, this prophecy had nothing to do with uh, uh, the virginity of Mary. The simplest answers are usually the best. There is nothing special about a young woman conceiving and having a child. Why would Isaiah make a prophecy and say, here's a sign for you. The young, uh, young woman's going to get pregnant and have a child. That happens all the time. Why is that a sign? The other thing is the, the translators who translated the Hebrew into the Greek, they knew what they were doing. So you have to have a little bit of trust that they knew what they were doing. And third, Matthew would have known this is, this is what we believe. This is the thing. So Matthew wasn't writing in ignorance. Why is it important that we declare that Jesus was born of a virgin? Because it is directly linked to two things. It is directly linked to both his divinity and his authority. To challenge the virgin birth of Jesus is to say that Jesus was just human. Jesus is fully human, but he is also fully God. So to challenge the virgin birth is to challenge the divinity of Jesus. Also, it challenges his authority because one of the marks of the Messiah was that he would be born of a virgin. That, that was a mark of the Messiah. And so for Jesus to come in the authority and the power of being the Messiah... 
he had to have this as one of his defining marks. And we believe and we declare that he did. We also believe and declare that he was born not just to a virgin, but he was born into an adoptive family. He had an adopted earthly father named Joseph who was faithful. And both he and Mary were faithful followers of God. You may say, why does that matter? It matters because we can see in the Christmas story two people Two people who bore the brunt of the rejection of others in their service to God. Is there a culture war happening? Yes. Culture war is kind of like spiritual war. Are there demons behind every corner? No. Uh, my, my car wouldn't start this morning. Is that a demon? Uh, my vacuum cleaner is not working right. Is that a demon? Uh, I have a headache. Is that a demon? No. It probably just means that I didn't, you know, something's wrong with my car or that I didn't drink coffee this morning. And that's usually why I have a headache, right? Like there's, we, we, we're not going to put weird things behind normal occurrences. At the same time, culture war has some reality too. And let's not be ignorant to it. Just because there are some people who have tried at every turn to turn every issue into some kind of culture war, let's not pretend that it doesn't exist. Let's not pretend that our culture isn't shifting from one that has been very tolerant to Christian faith to one that is increasingly hostile towards it. Let's not pretend. Jesus and Mary, uh, Jesus, Jesus's adopted father, Joseph, and his earthly mother, Mary, experienced the human rejection, and yet they were faithful. They were faithful people. They did not turn away from God in their trial. How do I know they were faithful followers of God? Well, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, as we just read, Mary, Mary went forward with this pregnancy, even though this would destroy her reputation. You try telling people, that you're pregnant even though you've never had sex with a man. In a, in a shame, honor culture, as, as ancient Israel and the ancient Near East was in that day, you try doing that. And yet she did. She went forward. Oh, well, they didn't have uh, ways to deal with pregnancy like we do now. Oh, no, they did. And she didn't go that way. And Joseph could have put her away. But he didn't. He listened to what the angel said. And then when he did marry her, he never, in the time when he married her to the time when Jesus was born, he denied himself, even though as a husband he had certain rights, maybe. I hate putting it that way because it sounds patriarchal, but you understand what I'm saying. Expectations might be another word. And yet he didn't. He withheld himself so that God's work could be accomplished. We also believe and declare that Jesus' birth was divinely announced. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15 tells us that there were shepherds keeping watch. And they were watching over their flocks near the city of Bethlehem, and angels appeared and declared that the Son of God had been born and you would find him in a stable. Now, I, as a father, I relate to this, that God the Father was announcing the birth of his Son. 
And, you know, as when my sons were born, I wanted to tell everyone. I was so excited that people would know that I had, I had had a son. I was so excited. Jesus' birth was divinely announced. One of the things that you see as Americans decrease their religious observances, even among Christians, there is a decreasing belief in the supernatural elements of the Christmas story. Even among Christians, Christ followers, there is a decreasing belief in this. We believe that God created a perfect world and that humanity rebelled against God and through their rebellion, sin entered the world and death. And we have been living in that brokenness ever since. And no one could get, be good enough to go to God on our behalf. So God did it himself. And that God became a man, the man Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfect life. And when he was murdered or killed on that cross, that all of the judgment and justice that my sin and your sin deserved was placed on Jesus. And he made a way for the removal of our sins. And he rose from the dead three days later, seen by over 500 eyewitnesses, to declare his victory over sin and death. We believe all that. An angel or even a host of angels appearing to some shepherds is not even in the top 10 of the wildest, most miraculous things that we believe. So just as Jesus' birth was divinely announced, so to his good news, his gospel continues to be announced by Christians all over the world. And just like we announce that Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead, that Jesus Christ is victorious over sin and death, that Jesus Christ is Lord, in the same way that Jesus' birth was announced, it was also rejected. Just as we announce his good news and it is rejected, tragically. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. People come to Jerusalem and they say, Where is the one born king of the Jews? And we see King Herod, and we see the religious leaders, and we see the political leaders. They all say, Well, wait, there is indication that the prophecy is being fulfilled about the coming king, the coming Messiah. Not one of them went to Bethlehem to find out. In fact, Many of them plotted with Herod to take out what was a potential political or cultural threat to themselves. We believe that we, just as Jesus' birth was announced, we announce his resurrection. Just as Jesus' birth was rejected, we know that our message will tragically be rejected by many. That's the story that God tells so what story do we live by? I think we have three options. Option one, we could do what nine out of ten Americans do. We could see Christmas as a cultural heritage. Did you know that if you lived in England in 1776, Christmas would not have been that big a deal to you? I mean, there, there is a reason why Washington crossed the Delaware uh, on Christmas Day. Um, there's a reason why that happened. Maybe the most American thing I've ever done is Christmas of, of my uh, junior year of high school. I, I was at the Delaware River to see a reenactment of George Washington crossing the Delaware. And they had these old boats out and somebody was dressed like General Washington and they went across. But in Western, you know, in England and their colonies in 1776, 
1800 and 1820, Christmas was not a big deal. Shops were not closed. Schools were not out. There was Christmas, Christmas, and you would maybe go to church. You maybe had a little dinner, but it wasn't a big deal. Then Queen Victoria married Prince Albert. And all of a sudden he brought German traditions over, the Christmas tree, the Tenenbaum, uh, you know, the, the, the big, making a big deal about Christmas became in vogue and fashionable. And so we just say, hey, this is a cultural heritage. We got it from the Germans, and then the Germans took it to the British, and the British passed it to the Americans, and now in America and Canada, North America, we observe Christmas just as a cultural heritage. The Christmas tree, Santa Claus, uh, Rudolph, all of that. That's option one. And by the way, I, I don't think that's bad. I enjoy a good Christmas movie. Um, I love uh, Elf. I love um, I love Christmas songs. Um, you know, I, I love uh, every year. It feels like there's a a Christmas song that sort of resonates with me. Last year it was um, Bing Crosby's um, Mele Kalikimaka. You know, the, the Christmas in Hawaii song. Um, Year before that, it was uh, Christmas Time uh, is here by by Alvin and the Chipmunks from the 60s. Uh, so I, there's nothing wrong with our cultural expressions of Christmas, but that's option one: is that Christmas is only a cultural heritage that we observe. Option two, and I think this is where a growing amount of Christians are falling, is that we see Chris, Christmas as part of a sort of positive deism. And what I mean by that is this, we just look for, like, there's a God and we're trying to be positive. And Christmas, we're only going to talk about the parts that involve positivity and not the parts that involve life change, that involve um, transformation, that involve invasion of this world, that in involve calling people to repentance. We're just going to focus on the positive parts of Christmas and ignore the rest. I think the third option is where we should land. Now, can we observe our cultural heritage? Absolutely. I, I, I'm an American, so I observe Christmas in the American way. Uh, we're going to have, you know, a meal, and we're going to pass around presents, and we listen to Christmas music, and, you know, it's like, it's like a friend of mine told me one time, you know, at Christmas time, everyone's, everyone's an Amy Grant fan. You know, you get that Amy Grant Christmas album out, um, on Facebook yesterday, the guy who introduced me to gangster rap and heavy metal when I was in uh, high school posted about how he loves the Amy Grant Christmas albums. And it just cracked me up because it's so true. You can be like the most like heavy metal guy and then, oh, Bing Crosby singing Christmas songs. I'm all about it. So there's nothing wrong with heritage and there's nothing wrong with being positive because we have hope and we have a joy and that should be expressed positively. But part of why we have hope and why we have joy, the reason is because Jesus Christ came on Christmas Day and that began the start of God's victory over sin and death. The start of God's victory over darkness. The start of God's victory over the devil. This is the beginning of the invasion and and. And the big moment culminating in Jesus' death and resurrection and finalized when he comes back again like we talked about last week. I love all of the things about Christmas, but I don't ever want to lose sight of Jesus, fully God and fully human.
coming into a broken world that rejected him, a broken world where his mother suffered to bring him into it, a broken world where his father denied him, his adoptive father Joseph denied himself so that God's work could be accomplished, that that's this fully human story of divine invasion. And it is a positive story, except that it's also a true story. And we can't block anything out. And I don't think we will. And I don't think that's what you want to do. I'm just encouraging us as we come into Christmas. Hey, we can talk about nostalgia and we can talk about culture war. I'd rather talk, I'd rather talk about this human story of divine intervention. And so I don't want to get involved in what color cup Starbucks has. And as much as I enjoy watching Rudolph, I want the main focus of Christmas for me and my house to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are watching this and you say, you know what, I know that that is true, but Christmas for me has been a nostalgia fest or Christmas for me has been something where I've just been vaguely positive or Christmas for me has been very un-Jesus focused. I invite you to focus your heart and your life, not just at Christmas, but on all days of the year and all days of the rest of your life to Jesus Christ who came into a world that rejected him so that you might be delivered from this world of darkness and death, that your sins wouldn't just be ignored, but they would be completely destroyed and wiped away. And that invitation to come and be part of God's kingdom, to come and join the invasion of light into darkness is there for you. And I believe that if you, wherever you are at, wherever you are watching this, however you are engaging with this, call out to God. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I want to join your side. Jesus, thank you for all that you did to bring light into my dark world. I believe God hears that prayer and God answers that prayer and God knows who you are. And if you have prayed that prayer, would you email me, adam at faithonhill.com? Would you write in the chat, would you proclaim loudly that Jesus is Lord in your life, that you have allowed the invasion to take place in your life and you've given yourself to God? If you have questions about the Christian faith, I'd love to talk with you. God bless you.